You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, fixed blade knives, and game processing kits. Now, we've all been there before, trying to field dress your wild game with a dull knife. This is where Outdoor Edge really steps in. With the Razor Safe system, you can have a brand new razor sharp blade with just the push of a button. No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off of your purchase. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. All right, guys, welcome back to another Land and Legacy podcast. So excited for you guys to be here and uh, certainly appreciate it. I don't know if we tell you that guy tell you that enough, but really you guys are extremely loyal in your listenership and man, we, we really appreciate just you guys tuning in every single week. You're hungry for information, you're hungry for education to try and make an impact out there on the landscape. So thank you so much for listening and joining us again. My name is Matt Dye. I am your host for this Land and Legacy podcast. First, before we jump in, quick reminder, season is a month away here in Missouri. September 15th starts it off. So whether it's last-minute scouting or fine-tuning your archery practice for season opener, Optics are involved. And so if you're in need of optics, whether it's spotting scope, binos, rangefinder, rifle scope, be sure to go check out vortexoptics.com. And while you're there, do yourself a favor, look at all the Vortex wear, all their apparel lines, some really sweet stuff, and use the code LEGACY20 for a discount on the apparel items while you're at the shop. It's a month away, and it might be even less than that in your state. It's, it's coming, ready or not. So get yourself prepared and equipped for an awesome hunting season with Vortex Optics. 
All right, guys, this week we have got Kyle Hedges coming on the podcast to join me and, and hosting a podcast. Several years ago, we, we, we started working with Kyle and Frank to get them involved in the process of consulting. Um, their, their jobs as biologists keeps them out in the field every day. They have years and years and years of experience outside doing this type of work just in a different capacity but they are ready to go in the field as land and legacy consultants so um, that's the way we want everyone to perceive Kyle and Frank as trained habitat land managers for land and legacy so they're going to be working maybe on your property or a property near you in the coming weeks, months, and years, and we're excited for um, that opportunity. Obviously, quick listen on this podcast, you'll find out that uh, obviously Kyle knows exactly what he's talking about, and same with Frank on previous podcasts. Guys, these are the, these are the real deal, and uh, we're excited to have them as part of the Land and Legacy team. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and have Kyle Hedges join us for a phone call. All right, Kyle, are you there? Yep. Hey, I'm here, Matt. What is going on, man? Oh, not too much. Just another day in the life of a wildlife biologist. <laughs> How exciting. How exciting. <laughs> Just <laughs> running running crews and, and all the, the late summer prep work. What what are some of the, the tasks that your guys are doing, guys's that you guys are doing out there on the on the, the different management areas that you go you oversee? Yeah, so on my you know my day job, my state guys um, taking care of public lands right now. Of course, dove prep is big, so every couple of weeks we're putting down some more sunflowers, mowing a few more, more, more and more food available, burning some patches of wheat. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's the infrastructure side of that, so you got to get the parking lots all looking spiffy, you know, because here in a couple of weeks we'll have several hundred dove hunters rolling in to, sure. to start up, and then right after that. You got bow hunters starting um, September 15th, so got to keep parking lots cleaned up and map boards posted and all that kind of stuff that goes with it. Um, fall food plot stuff, they're doing oh, that. Oh, yeah, right. Um, we, we do some, you know, mixes for some various uh, fall blends, um, so they're they're putting some of that. Some years, you know, depends dry, you can't do it, but this year we've we've been blessed with some rain so they're already putting in some of our fall food plots and nice so yep there's always something something to keep them busy that's exactly right that's exactly right of course well, fighting Sarisa, unfortunately that's the big one still you, do that all summer you know i did that this morning as well i had i had done an initial um herbicide oh, i was probably june 15th to the 20th something like that um yep. And and let it all just die out. And and I would have. I mean, I think I really did a good job. I would have. I got eighty five percent of it just yep. in, in a in, in it's in a future old field area. So it's still a pretty heavy base of fescue, but a lot of good forbs coming back, yep. minus the cerises that's present. So I was like, you know what? Before I remove any fescue. I'm just taking my time. I've got a full growing season to what is here and growing in these patches. I'm killing out. And, and that initial application was at 80, 85%, and then went back in 
this morning touched it up and you know by the end of the growing season there'll be no living cerisa in that unit um so i can make plans for for the future right so yep but it's not the let's be honest it's not the most glorious type of no. of work but it's necessary it's work yeah it's, it's terrible i hate it i hate spraying <laughs> cerisa for yeah. one it just the plant disgusts me but it, yeah no yeah. it's it's unpleasant it's always hot when you're doing it that's true but it's you have to do these things or yeah, you're just killing yourself down the road. You've got to prepare the site as best you can for whatever you're going to do. And you just hit on something. We'll talk more about it, I think, as this podcast goes. But mm-hmm. you just touched on something that you went back and touched it up. So yeah. I did the exact thing. I sprayed a bunch of Cerisa and was thought I was in really good shape yeah. um, uh, over Fourth of July weekend. Yeah. And same deal. Like, man, I... I mean, I gritted it with on a four wheeler. I mean, I I could not have missed hardly any. Sure, like I was that confident. Yep. And I went over two weeks ago, and <laughs> man, but was prepared. You got to sure. be prepared for you these do. things, right? So I yep. made sure I had some chemical, just in case there was a few misses of Cerisa. But I went yeah. over there for some other purposes. Back to my farm in Kansas, about two hours away. Yeah. Well, spent three hours hitting my you know uh-huh. my few percent of misses that turns out to be <laughs> plants that were too small that you couldn't see yet yes. you know and got yes. up more whatever the case is but man it's amazing you got to do some follow-up on that stuff because it's amazing how much you miss you absolutely do and and i think that's the f- the fault of of a lot of herbicide applications where you know, you it, it's like a horse race, right? You get out of the blocks really good, and you do initial application really well, and then you don't ever go back that growing season and follow it up. And then the next year when you're just driving past, you're disgusted because you realize that didn't really work, and, yep. and you didn't follow up. And what I noticed because I sprayed – when I first saw the Cerisa pop in these areas, it was – six to 10, 11, 12 inches tall. It was young. And so I think I should have let it go another week or two and let it really sprout and 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 um, jump, get taller, more surface area one, but then allow all the sprouts to really get um, up yeah. and established before I had sprayed. So when I went back, I was like, ah, oh, I could see quite a bit of, no, it's a younger stuff, but just not as developed or flowering stage as some of the Cerisa is in at this point. And so, um, yeah, I mean, but but you can't go into it thinking that it's a once-and-done deal. I, 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 I guess, managed a couple vegetation management crews in, in the East Coast, and that was some of the things, like when you would be, you know, billing or estimating a job, you have to go back and make sure that, that you've, mopped it up is what we would call it it's just a you yeah. know a, a run through the site again because if not then a, again a year later that that client that customer would be upset because it's yeah. still there but yeah. imagine this is i guess and if anyone who's spent a ton of time removing the invasives it's so much easier to do that mop up or or revisit the site because if you've sprayed 70 to 80% of that and reduced it down to to 15, it's such a quick little job. I mean, I probably sp- sprayed half to three quarters of a gallon this morning 
of solution, yeah. and it took me 20 minutes. Yeah. But it's, that, that saved me so much time next year, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, in my example, so, I mean, I had three hours of follow-up. However, right. over Fourth of July weekend, I sprayed for 17 hours. And oh. used, I mean, yeah. yeah, this is a long, yeah, this is a lot of tank fills and a yeah. lot of fields I'm going through. This sure. isn't just, you know, a five-acre situation. And, and this was a spot spray application for you as well? Yep. Wow. Yeah, so I'm spot spraying all these different fields, right? So mm. in comparison, it was still a lot less yeah. and was worth the double check. But yeah. totally, totally, yeah, yeah. But I, I think that uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it over to you because because you've got the the podcast uh, theme idea for for this week. But I I think honestly that that initial little conversation kind of ties in pretty well to. Um, you know, the, the direction that you wanted to take this podcast. So I'll turn it over to you and, and, um, we'll get cranking on it. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, yeah. So we, you know, we were talking pre-show, I guess what's been running through my mind. Um, and I, I think a lot of listeners probably fall into this. I'm sure there's some listeners that are fortunate enough to be retired and, and you can go to the farm every day, but most, most folks aren't in that situation. So, you're probably listening to this because you uh, like to most likely you like to hunt and you have some goals, whether it's more deer, bigger deer, more quail, more turkeys, whatever, mm-hmm. um, just better overall land management, whatever, ever most likely 99.9% of the listeners have some type of goals. And, That's right. And, and so I'm in a situation working a full-time job, right? And, and then, work for laying and legacy, um, on the side as much as yep. I can. And well, so I don't have a lot of time to get to the farm and what I, I find myself is, and, and, and you have a wife and kids. Don't forget about them. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> but, grandkids. But, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, but right. that's, that's also <laughs> plays into the equation that a lot of other people, you know, are, are, I was, I'm not going to say dealing with that, but that's all taking yep. time. Um, and, and a good, a good, chunk of time which is great um but it's just situations we all face it's a balancing act that's right and everybody has their story right Uh i don't want to make it a negative term but everybody has their own baggage or whatever you want to call it (laughs) sure everybody has their own unique situation that's right so you know this to go to my farm in kansas again it's a couple hours from here but i've got to really plan stuff like it and I think a lot of people are probably in that situation. Even if your farm is 10 minutes away, if, if you're not there every day, even if it's just on the weekends, most people probably don't go every weekend. You know, it's a week That's right. a month or, or even if you do every weekend. Um, I guess the point is when I go over to work on my farm, I have to really prioritize what I'm doing and when I'm doing it and what the goal is. what I'm trying to prepare for because I have limited amount of time to do this. So, and I, I need to plan equipment wise, um, supplies, chemicals. I mean, all of this plays into this game. Um, so yeah, just thinking about recent trips over there, right? I guess what, what I'm getting at is, um, you know, I head over to my farm and with a list of ideas, you know, hey, I need to go over this time of year because um, I'm going to treat Cerisa, for example. That was, 
you know, my 4th of July trip. That that was it. I'm going to treat Sarisa. Sole purpose. Yep. That's, you know, this is what I'm doing. Now, while I'm there, am I going to trade out camera cards and batteries? Sure. Right, right. right. Like, I, you're always going to mess with some of that stuff or throw the chainsaw in. Here's a perfect example. Throw the chainsaw in. If a perfect In a perfect world, if it's not miserably hot and I get done with Sarisa better than I thought, then maybe one morning I'll cut some cedars or something, right? Yep. So I have backup plans. So lower priority project doesn't have to be done. The Sarisa has to be done this time of year. But that requires me to take several different things, right? I've got to have the appropriate chemical. I've got to have my spray rig, my four-wheeler, all this stuff. If I'm taking the chainsaw, I need all my stuff for that, blah, blah, blah. So you get over there and, and have a good work weekend. Of course, you know how it goes. You're going to break something on the sprayer or whatever. So, <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Right? Tools, extra nozzles. I mean, yep. it never fails. But I'm so all that goes pretty well, right? And I'm plugging along. But So my next trip is just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And I go over. And this is actually to, to – I need to get across the creek. Let me back up. So I haven't haven't been across the creek to I got a field over there that I need to do some work and the water's been too high. Have not been okay. able to cross our crossing. Same deal. All right, I'm gonna work on some Sarisa, but I also got some tree removal stuff to do over there. I've uh, got some unwanted sprouts in a, in a field and blah blah blah. Well, so get over there and guess what? When you live this far away and you can't keep eyes on your farm, well we'd had a storm go through. And there's a tree across the road that I have to go down. Yeah. Um, this this little woods road. Okay, no big deal. I got a saw. But that takes me 45 minutes to clean up just so I can drive a four-wheeler wow. <laughs> where yeah. I need to go. Uh-huh. So this is not part of my work day. So yep. I've already lost 45 minutes. Yep. So fill the sprayer up. Here we go. And I go across the creek and... Just part way up the other side, there is a tree as big around as the hood of your truck <laughs> laying across the road that there is no other way around. So oh, I'll spend man. the two hours moving this tree just so I can get to my project. But, and and by the time you're getting to your project, you're not at all frustrated. <laughs> oh, no. And, of course, now it's hot, right? That's I'm out it. there to do all this work early. and Anyway. Yeah. Every, but, everyone uh, listening right now is like... <laughs> That happened to me. That happened <laughs> yes, to me. Exactly. <laughs> or they get there and the tractor has a flat tire. Yeah. Yep. Anything that can go wrong. But the point of all of that is, okay, so we, I have a plan, but it, but we also have things that pop up. That's it. So we've got to be prepared for some of this. So take it another, another, you know, couple weeks forward. So I got what I needed to do done. So I was just over, um, at my farm again, uh, just a couple days ago, I was over in the area for another reason. And I just kind of popped in my farm, but checked on a few things. And, uh, so in all of this, you know, I'm making mental notes and I'm making lists and, and priorities. And I think this is where it gets really important. So while I was there the other day, there was certain things I was only at the farm for an hour, but I yeah. needed to go check on three or four really important things. Um, I needed to go check on my pollinator planning, see how things were coming. Do I have any unwanted 
vegetation. I didn't have time to deal with it. There was nothing I could do about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But I need to know these things, right? Sure. Like, if there's certain things there that I need to treat, then I'm going to have to figure out how to get back over there really soon. Yeah, I mean, uh, as seas- as the growing season is starting to um, wind down, we're we're talking blooming, pollinating, the seed production stage uh, of things. So it, it's starting to get critical if there's something bad growing in a pollinator stand. Right, exactly. So, you know, it's taking inventory of, and then I'm looking at, um, I already have an idea of what I want to burn next spring, right? Mm-hmm. So I've already, I'm, I'm looking, reassessing the couple fields. Yep, yep, This I want to burn this, I want to burn this piece of timber. Okay, well, those lines, I need to put fire lines in, and I would prefer to put them. Maybe you live in a perfect world where it's always dry right before you want to burn, and you can go put fire lines in two or yeah. three days before. Again, I live two hours away from this farm, so um, one of these burns is across the creek. I just discussed I couldn't get across the creek all summer. Even 4th of July, I couldn't cross the creek. So yeah. it, while it's crossable, I've got to go install these fire lines so that, you know, I might be able to get over there to burn. I can use a four-wheeler and get over there to burn uh, next March. Sure. But I may not be able to get the brush hog over there. I'm, you know, Dad's, I'm, I'm operating on a 1957 Alice Chalmers tractor, so I'm sure. not exactly, I'm not in a 200-horse John Deere <laughs> <laughs> pulling a bat wing. So. Where, where you make your own trail. Right. I'm kind of limited. Certainly. So, yep. Um Anyway, you know, these are things that I think need to be factored in and you need to be thinking about. And whether that's, you know, you write this stuff down or just making your own notes or you've got some folders or whatever. But so it's not just when I get over there, it's not just about, oh, what am I going to do today? Or I leave the house and know what I'm going to do today. But I got to be thinking about what am I working on next month? That's right. What am I working on six months from now? And can I do any of that prep now that helps me do that? Um, and and with that, if I am rolling over to work on certain things, um, and and Matt, we you and I see this all the time. It's hard to explain this, but sometimes we have to be prepared for the unexpected. Yes, for sure. Um, and so I say that you're talking about this old field renovation, right? Yep. So you're going to spray the fescue out of it. Well, we usually have a good idea and we tell the clients, you know, Hey, this is this, this, this will come back and then, you know, we spray the fescue or brome out. You're going to get these good things, but there's always the potential for some bad things that we don't even know about that are hiding in the soil. Totally. Yep. So, you know, I've got to show up with the farm with some chemicals. So I'm, I'm mentally prepared having done this enough. I usually know the list of bad things that might show up. Absolutely. Yeah. So what are the most likely do... candidates to pop? <laughs> right. Yep. So when I, I do a treatment like that, <clears throat> I did one of those at this same farm I'm talking about this spring. I did a real early spring burn and then sprayed fescue before the warm season started greening up. Um, you know, when I go back over there, I've got to have certain chemicals on hand yep, yep what if i get there and it's a solid johnson grass stand knee high that's right well that's a different chemical that i'm going to deal with than if it's so oh, i've got some cerisa okay i'm going to deal with that later and, uh, uh, and there's certain times to hit some of this you know i can't roll in and say 
oh, it's it's knee-high Johnson grass. Well, I'll be back in a month, and I'll deal with it then. Nope, then it's head-high. And if I'm going to spray Johnson grass without rider, well, then you need to do it when it's 18 to 24 inches. So, yep. yep. <laughs> yeah. Timing saying, matters. Right. I'm not saying every landowner can own every chemical made to man and have all of that with them. But yep. but some of this just goes into the planning and we need to be thinking about we being land managers, landowners and, and understand kind of how the land likely will react, some potential yep. expectations and hey, what some contingency plans. I was just going to use that same term. Yep. Yeah. Contingency if this plans. Then, you know, if X happens, then Y, then I'm going to react with Y. And if Y happens, then I'm going to react with Z or whatever. I mm-hmm. mean, you got to be thinking about those things. And, and once in a while, you know, you and I get surprised too. Like, huh, <laughs> yeah. didn't expect that. Sometimes in a good way. Like, yeah, oh, oh, that's sure. awesome. Look yep. at all that. Yep. Sometimes you're like, oh, I don't like that plant. We're going to have to work on that. Totally. Uh, but, but that's okay. I mean, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I don't know, let's say, uh, steer this podcast in a certain way, but this is a, this is a question that we get a lot. And so, so Kyle, I'm, I'm putting yep. you on the spot here. Um, but, but it goes right in line with what we're talking about of, of being prepared and being efficient when we show up to the property to work. How can we get as much stuff done? And when we see something, whether it is based on the specific timing of a plant, when we have the option to be able to control it, um, or we're running out of growing season, whatever the case may be, if you will, and again, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here, but what are some of your... I want to say favorite herbicides, but what are some of the herbicides that you feel like if you have these on hand, let's say in stock in the barn, that you feel like you can control most of the things that are going to pop up on your property in Kansas? And and, and then kind of as you explain that, what are some of the things that you're most fearful of popping up or things that you have to address? So I, I know that's kind of a, a multi-step answer there, but I think that's going to give someone a little bit more specific information as what kind of things we're really talking about being prepared for and having on hand to address it and, and hit these certain windows. So if you, if you will, what's that herbicide or, or herbicide cocktail that you want to make sure that you have the ingredients to to be, have a big broad spectrum effect. Okay. Yeah. And you, you already said for Kansas, I was to say, you know, Midwest for a region at yep. best. Yep. Obviously this is going to differ wherever we go. Um, let me back up and say, you know, there's a shelf life to these chemicals. So yep. stocking up, even if you can do it, stocking up on a whole bunch and letting it sit in your barn for years is not a good idea either. Right. But some of this stuff's hard to come by. So we need to, plan ahead and and have an idea but so the first one everybody you have to have is pathway or toward on rtu that's for stump treatment Mm -hmm. if if you're managing a farm you better be running a chainsaw you better be having something to paint stumps sure sure (laughs) so gotta have that pathway is just a cheaper version of toward on rtu so i always go with pathway and yeah usually you can get a two and a half gallon jug for um a, a, a much better price than yep. the tort on on a volume scale. Yep, absolutely. 
Um, secondly, especially for Kansas, almost every farm is going to, well, every farm is going to probably deal with Cerisa at some level. Um, so remedy or pasture guard, Mm -hmm. one of those two, um, maybe a Cimarron if you're going to go spraying late, like in September. Right. But if you're going to be spraying in the summertime, you're going to need pasture guard and remedy. The good news is those are will work on a lot of other unwanted broadleaf plants. They don't hurt grasses. Um, it doesn't take a, a big heavy mix of it on Cerisa. It's only a half a percent rate. So, you know, a gallon jug will go along. You can treat lots and lots and lots of acres yep. um, with a gallon jug. So that's almost a guarantee. Um, glyphosate, I skipped over that, I guess, but you got to have, that's just roundup, but you know, generic, the, the chemical is glyphosate. The trade names are Buccaneer plus or Glyphor roundup, whatever you want to call it. Um, everybody's got to have some roundup or, or glyphosate. You're going to use that on food plots. You're going to use that. You can use that on some unwanted stuff in certain spots now i've seen people got to be careful i don't want to get on a whole herbicide spin off here too far but people using glyphosate as an all being all useful chemical like oh i got cerise i'll just spray it with glyphosate oh i got johnson grass i'll spray it what well, yeah but you've killed ev- it kills anything green right so now you've just opened up the ground all around it <laughs> and next year that you're going to have more of this noxious weed come up from seed or whatever to try to invade back. And you've just created a bare dirt spot for it to increase. Right. These, most of these plants are increasers. And when given the opportunity, they take up the bare spot. So um, got to be smart how we use this. Use the right chemicals for the plants you're after. That's a good point. Um, yep. So, and, but that glyphosate will get you, you know, not only food plots, but spraying fescue and brome out of, Native stands, just very useful. And then, at least in the eastern part of Kansas, um, western part, well, they don't fight Cerise either, fortunately. But uh, they don't have bad Johnson grass problems out west either. But Mm -hmm. in eastern Kansas, Johnson grass. So, depends on the situation. Uh, Plateau, an expensive chemical. If I'm trying to protect certain broadleaves. Right. I got to use plateau if if I'm not worried about the broadleaves for some reason. Outrider is way more effective on Johnson grass. Um, and you can spray it, Outrider in a native stand that has yes. a few other native grasses in it, and it will select and kill Johnson grass. Correct. Correct. Same with plateau. So Outrider mm-hmm. was specifically designed for CRP plantings where it's all warm season grasses and Johnson grass is also a warm season grass. So there was never a tool to kill one warm season out of a whole mix of warm seasons, but outrider was designed just to do that. And it's highly effective. It's highly expensive. (laughs) Right. Um, Doesn't take a ton. It's only, it's a powder. It's only a 1.3 ounces per acre. Right. So it's doesn't take a lot. Um, But anyway, those are chemicals that I kind of count on having in my pickup every time I'm heading over there at some level. Sure. I just know those are the things I'm going to deal with. You go further out west, 
in Kansas, you know, Phragmites becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. It's it's going to vary, and you know, whether Absolutely. we go south, north, east, west, it's well. Uh, regardless, that that gives you options, selectivity. That gives yeah. you the ability to, if you find something, if you come across a situation, it gives you the ability to address it there and now, and and sometimes. Um, even even just having a oh gosh a, a, I would say a, something mixed up already that you know it throughout a growing season that you're going to utilize have it stored in a in a um, you know safe location in a safe type of storage container but have it sitting aside so you can either just put it in a backpack sprayer if you see it or have the backpack sprayer riding in the back of the UTV so you can hop out and address it right there going along the road because there's there's no better time than to address it is when than when you see it for the first time cuz yeah. you can drive past and 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 miss it you know time after time and then the next year you come back like whoa how did the, how did I let that get away and then you remember oh yeah I I knew there was at least a sprig or it started last year I forgot to spray it if you carry it with you, even even a small squirt bottle like you would use for, for treating trees, having even something like that readily available as you're moving across the farm that's got maybe a cocktail, a broad spectrum um, that you can spray on multiple different types of things, even having such a small quantity can go a long ways and be useful. Absolutely. A buddy of mine was from over at Lebanon here in Missouri was just talking about he's He's put a little sprayer that's just always on his four-wheeler now uh-huh. that has has a half a percent of uh, pasture guard mixed up for Ceresa. He's like, every time I go, I've sprayed my whole farm for Ceresa, but yeah. every time I go do anything on my four-wheeler, I run into some sprigs of Ceresa somewhere. So it's just like, you know what? I'll just have this all the time. It's goes with him all, and you just hit it. He's hey, not out yep. looking for it. He might be checking trail cameras. He might be... Whatever, checking, cut checking cows or doing something. Yep. You know, when whoever is out there on a multi-use farm and they've got cows, you're whenever you you go and check on them or whatever, you're always going to take a different path across a farm or across a, a different pasture. And there's nothing more frustrating than than seeing what you need to kill in the target species and can't do anything about it. So just yep. have it really available. Whether it's a store again, a in a storage trunk in the back of UTV, or just a, a little squirt bottle, um, or one of those little hand pumps too, not a backpack spray, but just a hand pump, bungee corded up to the back of the UTV, keep it available. Yep, yep, and something you know, I, I want to touch on. I, I mentioned that some of these chemicals are a little tougher to come by. You go in about any mm-hmm. MFA, they're going to have Remedy, probably Pasture Guard. Um, well, there's a, there's a shortage of glyphosate right now for some reason, but typically they always have that, but like outrider, you know, where I live and where you live, there's not a lot of CRP. There's not people spraying Johnson grass out of warm season grasses. That's it. Typically they got to order that. So some of this stuff, you know, depending on where you live in the world, um, and it's not just outright, there would be some other chemicals that are kind of a specialty chemical. Right. You need to know that that goes into the planning. You can't get there and say, "Oh, gee, I got this problem X, and I'm going to run to town and get the chemical." Well, it might be a week out, and yeah. you're like, "Well, I live four hours from this farm, and I'm not coming <laughs> back for two months." So, That's it. Yep. 
anyway, it's just, you know, any, the more you can understand about your farm, the more you can understand about plants and potential there's every action has a reaction. You, so every you, time we do something, you cut out we, there for a second, uh, oh, Kyle, oh. you said when you got a plan at the farm or something like that and pick up from right there, if you don't mind. Yeah. I mean, if you've got a, a plan, a farm, um, you've, you've got to be thinking about possible, um, you know, plants, desirable plants, undesirable plants, and be thinking this all the way through. And then I, I said, every action has a reaction. Mm-hmm. So whether we're burning, um, that's usually rarely a negative reaction. Uh, plant response-wise, almost always positive. But there can be some sneaky plants that like fire that jump in the middle of, you know, uh, strip disc. And when we start disturbing the soil, we increase the likelihood of, of some other negative plants. And we prescribe these activities for a lot of landowners. Right, right. But, but we need to know... Or if we know our land and know the area, um, the more you can learn about your farm and the land and everything about it, the better suited you'll be to expect certain reactions yep. uh, from the management that we put on the ground. Um, all of it, all of it unfolds, and all of it, you just you learn more and more over the years, right? The more. That's someone's had their farm the more they know yep every time i touch that field with a piece of steel i get johnson grass okay good (laughs) to know right and and, Um, and as you're saying that i I know that there's some people who's who then ask the question well is it worth it doing it then and and the question or the answer is is really easy and it's yes i i think that i don't want to say that there's unrealistic expectations um but if you're in a site or if you're in an area that deals a lot with Cerisa Lespediza or has a has a a neighborhood that people don't care and they don't treat it, or the same thing with Johnson grass, or or maybe you're in an area that has pastures that are being grazed and 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 in that situation people are wanting Johnson grass for for hay or for pastures, but in your application in your site, it's a problem plant. The question isn't, should I just forget about it and plant Roundup Ready, whatever? No, just know that it's it's expected to have to deal with it. And, and also know that you probably won't have a 100% uh, beneficial stand every single year. You may have some areas that maybe it's 5, 10, 15% of the field that just is overtaken by that one species. Well, in my book, at 85% good plants and 15% bad, that's still probably a high-quality site. Just because it has a few components of bad or a percentage of bad plants doesn't mean it's not worth doing. 85%, that was a solid B in school. And guess what? I went to college, graduated with that. <laughs> you know, like yep. I, I, it's same thing with like I, we see the same thing with clover food plots. Like, oh gosh, look at all these weeds. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, well, chill, chill, chill. Because 
the majority of this field is good. It's still producing good food. And so an old field that has a little bit of Johnson grass or some pockets or, or some, some Cerisa, don't just count it off. Just treat it and know, accept the fact that you're probably going to have to deal with it on an annual basis. So then if you accept that, then you know how to plan for it. And I think that that's like that kind of where the rubber meets the road for people is they get all bent out of shape a little bit, if you will, that, that hey, this isn't going quite as planned. Well, nothing really goes quite as planned. We just have to be flexible and kind of work and guide this plant community, not just completely control, dominate. We just have to, we have to guide it in this direction. And um, again, an 85, 90% quality stand plant communities, I'm, I'm giving it a thumbs up. Can it be improved? Sure. But what, what can't be improved? Yep, absolutely. Uh, I'll give you a perfect example. So um, the, this pollinator planning I've referred to, and I actually, Uh put some videos on Frank and I have a Instagram, you know, and yep. uh, Upland flush. And I put some videos as I was doing this pollinator planting. So this was a, a crummy, wasn't even good fescue. If there was such a thing like <laughs> crappy fescue, it's always Johnson grassy. I mean, so I'm going to kill this field out. So I burn yep. it off and I already, so I know I'm hundred percent positive. I'm going to be fighting Johnson grass. Sure. But this is where I'm choosing to put this pollinator mix, right? Yep. This is a 10-acre field, so this is a pretty big project. Mm-hmm. Um, so going into it, it's just adding a step. I sure. already know it. Would I prefer that there was no Johnson? Sure. Yeah. But it's just an added step, so I have to plan accordingly. Yep. So burn it. Regrowth comes, you know, a few inches. Spray it with glyphosate. I'm set. Now I can drill my my pollinator mix. But in doing so, again, this goes back to knowing, knowing the situation. I already know I'm going to be fighting Johnson grass. I'm not going to till this up because it'll just make Johnson grass even mm-hmm. worse, make it mad. I'm going to no-till this this pollinator mix in, but I'm still going to have Johnson grass. I'm positive right, of that. Right. So I select a species mix that's plateau tolerant. Right. Because I already know I'm going to have to come. There is no species mix for, poll- for pollinators that's outrider tolerant but there are plateau tolerant species so i select 10 species that are plateau tolerant well guess what i go back on another thing so i go back i have to check on this planting right because i'm expecting johnson grass so i can't wait two months and go back and have head eye johnson grass or this planting has no chance so i go back in the appropriate time frame i don't even remember now but three or four weeks um expecting to see johnson grass sure enough i've got a significant johnson grass stand okay i was prepared for that so yep. i spray the plateau yep um and anyway i take care of that issue for the most part and like you say there's a few um spots here and there that skips or even just some johnson grass that came on a little later and yeah sure but but that's okay the hundred percent of this field was fescue johnson grass just kind of garbage a year ago right i was just in tromping around that field two evenings ago at dusk and now yeah 15 percent of it has some scattered johnson grass there's i have no fescue back right now um got some bull nettle i mean not preferred right right 
but I've got partridge pea that the deer just hammering. Yeah, I mean, yeah. pounding it. I've got Illinois bundle flower coming up all over the place. It's doing really well. I got little blue strung out, uh, several clumps of little blue already showing their face. I've got some other stuff that wasn't in the mix that's coming up. I love though, it. Just because I got rid of the, you know, suppressive right. overstory of stuff. So it's just an added step, but I've still, I mean, the deer are using the heck out of this thing. And, yeah, and totally. most of my species being a first year planting, haven't even showed their face. Right. You know, I expect more of them next year. So it, you just, you, you deal with it, you roll with it. If you expect it, obviously it's a lot easier. The only way to expect it is to kind of know what might happen and have some experience doing it. Um, uh, be familiar with it. For some people, that's just going to be trial and error. Um, for others, you know, uh, if you have, if you've been around or seen it, you might have better expectations. Or you know, obviously, we we typically can kind of outline some of that stuff as well uh, mm-hmm. ourselves. And for we sure, messed with that enough, we kind of expect. <laughs> Hey, here's here's about four possible things, good things that are going to come out of this, and here's a one or two bad species that may show up. So, and, and and we get those texts every day from from people who you know we've worked with in the past um, of, of positive things, or hey, can you identify this? Or I'd be worried about that. Um, that there are unknowns and unforeseeable things that do happen. Um, through through these plantings and, and manipulating the landscape, you, you know, you, you said it you said it really well when you said I, I I removed the problem plants or the overstory of fescue and Johnson grass, and and now we're just seeing some things popping up. You don't really know. It's kind of like opening Pandora's box a little bit. We know that we're going to be having some beneficial structure, composition, forbs, um, forage cover all these things will come out of this practice but that's why we use the phrase guide the plant community because it, it it's going to take some some coaxing along to make it great it's going to take years it's going to take some growing seasons to just try and and i'm air quoting perfect it because you really can't perfect it Let, i mean any idea kyle how many thousands and thousands of plants and stems per acre would be in a uh, let's just call oh. it a pollinator planting or an a quality uh, yeah. old field stand right we're talking yeah. hundreds of thousands of plants it's not yeah. possible to get perfection out of right. every single square foot of that so so let's again manage our expectations and 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 have some contingency plans when we do this and almost getting back into like kind of the the first part of the podcast is here here we've we've outlined some scenarios that we have to be flexible with but then at the same time we have to be planning ahead so that we can still stay on task when these odd contingency situations they do arise and so if you're prepared for them you address it and you move on because you're prepared, you have that equipment, but you can keep hitting your tasks and timelines. But some of these timelines, your preparation, like like with you mowing that um, fire break across the creek, well, you're going to be thinking months, months ahead of, if this is not like a, a weekend-to-weekend thing, how do you prepare as a land manager, as a landowner, to accomplish things for next spring, like in late summer, 
of the year prior. That's how big and, and like where your mind's got to be thinking at. Absolutely. This is, this isn't just a, <laughs> it's, it's work. Yeah. This, I was just going to say, this isn't just for fun. Now, yeah, yeah. the whole point of this farm is to go hunt and enjoy it. Yep. But to meet my goals on this farm, uh, not just hunting goals, but land management goals, it's work. And That's it, all right. If, That's absolutely if you're not putting work in, then you're, it's going to be tough to meet a lot of the goals most of the time. Uh, well, and, and I had this thought the other day, and maybe this is a whole this is a whole other podcast topic, but what I what I don't want to have happen with landowners or maybe they maybe they have leased a property for years now they said i've saved up money or i'm stepping into the ownership game you shouldn't be treating the farm that you own as a landowner and doing the same techniques that you do as a landowner as you did when you were leasing the farm what i mean by that is you should have a a heightened sense of um let's say responsibility planning um and and so you shouldn't just be placing trail cameras and the minerals and whatever people do scrapes and whatnot it it's bigger than that and we're managing plant communities and and quality of timber sites and mass producing trees creating secure dense areas like we're we're taking that land ownership thing and making it bigger so don't manage I'm air quoting that. Don't manage a farm that you own the same way you would if you leased it. And if you do the do that and the practices, we're 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 missing the boat, or we're missing the opportunity yeah. to have increased success across the board, whether it's management yeah. success or harvesting hunting success. It, well, I can assure you, if that's the case, and for those folks that are leasing something, and and there is no management happening. Most of the case, the farmer's doing something. But, or you own something and are doing zero management. In either case, long term, there's going to be a decline yeah. in productivity of deer quality, deer quantity. I mean, there's a long list, turkeys, whatever it is. If, if nothing is happening management-wise, you're in trouble. We're crossing our fingers and hoping that the neighbors yeah. are doing something. And we'll we'll just... Yeah you know, feed yeah. off of them. And and I don't and I don't say that phrase um leasing is not a bad option. I'm just I was Yeah. I hope people don't just, take it that way. It's but it's it's simply don't if you have the opportunity to manage the farm, manage it. Don't don't just hunt it and throw out some cameras. Take yeah. it a step further. Take Absolutely. Further. Absolutely. And all of that takes planning, takes forethought, takes some understanding. Yes, um, it it's a process, and it, but it's fun, man. I get it is. Uh, Adam. You guys have talked about it, and of course, I've you know, public lands manager for my whole life here, yep. my whole career. So I'm doing this stuff at work at my day job, but doing it on the side. I mean, it's I'll be sitting in a tree stand looking around, like, oh, I need to do this, I need to do that. <laughs> it's it just consumes you. I mean, it, it does. I find enjoyment in it, which is good. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's yes. I hate spraying cerisa, but when you go back and see b- brown cerisa, there's satisfaction. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I, you know, if 
if it wasn't enjoyable and a satisfying feeling, that would be, that would be rough. But overall the land management part is, I don't know. I, I look forward to it. It's exciting. It's, um, I, I know I'm doing something positive for the resource, for the yes. land. And, and yes. it's just, it's really, really makes it easier to drive over there and spend a weekend. That's right. I find myself, even though right now I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm living on the property that we're trying to improve and, and work at and pick at the, the summer has been so dang busy with house projects and with travel, you know, I'm, as I'm flying from job to job, I'm sitting on a plane or an airport. Okay. I've got four days at home. I've got to write some reports, but what projects am I tackling when I get home? Like, how do I make sure I'm the most efficient possible? So I've got my to-do list, uh, the farm to-do list and all the little projects. I'm looking at the weather ahead of, ahead of, ahead of schedule. So, okay, well, I got this. I can do this, but I need to make sure I go back and check on that site. I've got it all planned out. So when I get home, I can be that much more efficient and get it get it done in, in the time that, that I have. And that's living here and being on it. So I can only imagine being two hours away or more for, for other people. It's just difficult. So that that time is is pretty precious, and it better be um, used wisely and efficiently to make the biggest impact possible. But you do have to be flexible and plan on things to go wrong. Plan on the wrenches being thrown into the situation <laughs> when the trees, giant trees, crossing the path. You can't get around it. Oh man, you you got to carry a chainsaw with you. So at least you're prepared for that situation. Oh yeah, yeah. That's always part of the deal going over there. That's right. Seems like. I, I think. Yeah. Uh, do you have any other wrap up thoughts there, Kyle? No, I think we kind of covered the stuff that's been you know rattling around in my head. Every mm-hmm. weekend I'm over there. I'm thinking. I'm thinking a month away. I'm but I'm thinking three months away and six months away. And and I you know that list includes stand preparation. It's not just about land management all of that and sure. i think obviously most listeners make sure that happens yeah right? yeah that's, <laughs> that's right. an option that We're is gonna, right <laughs> but right now i've got a stand that i need to turn 90 degrees on a tree uh-huh. no big deal but i gotta do that i got yeah. another stand that i need to move about 50 yards those things need to happen sooner than later and i haven't done them yet but right um all of that plays into the priority list and looking down the road here and yeah i think it, you just need to need to be thinking full scale, um, and land management. Absolutely. There, there's never really a rest period in the brain. It just is a, a, this constant evolution. And I, and I know p- other people, you know, the people who listen to this podcast are passionate. I know they're in the same boat, but, but oftentimes I feel like when, when you're passionate and you're doing this often, I guess I kind of compare it to golf a little bit is, is if you, if you are, a competitive golfer and you're shooting, let's say your handicap is three or five and you want to get down to a one or scratch for you to be able to go from really good to really, really good. That percentage of improvement is bigger in my opinion than it is from trying to go from scoring on average 95 and dropping to 85 you can make up 10 strokes if you're if you're already you know 
15 to 20 over par. That's easier, right? It's it, it it's yeah. not that hard because right. you know, par is is where everyone should be. But if you're right. closer to par, you've right. got to really work at it. And the, the to me, this is the type of thing the extra planning, the extra um details, that efficiency. If you if you're a good land manager, try and and think ahead another 6 months, another make that list of, of the property longer make make your supplies list a little bit bigger so again you can just be that much more efficient and you'll see that progress i think in the property and in the plan quicker you know if you take those steps so you're doing you're doing a fantastic job over there in in kansas We're, we're we're fortunate enough to get uh some some pictures whether they're harvest photos from turkeys in the spring or during the fall but you know the management side of things um even being two hours away, you're you're efficient and you're getting stuff done. So we love seeing it, and I, and I think this was a great topic to to bring to the podcast this week. Um, so we certainly appreciate it, Kyle. You bet. Yep, I've sat here while we're talking about it and thought of two or three more things. That I need to <laughs> <laughs> Grab the phone and put it in the notes section. There you go. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Never it. ends. It never. It never ends. But thank goodness it doesn't, right? Yep. No, it's all good. That's what it's all about. <laughs> Good deal. Well, guys, we appreciate you listening. Um, you will be hearing, seeing more from Kyle and Frank being out on the road and coming hopefully to a property near you soon. So we're excited to have them um, on as podcast hosts, podcast contributors, consultants. It's getting out there, Kyle. So hope you're ready. Yep. Good deal. Anytime. All right, guys, we appreciate you listening. Take care. Yeah.